moments ago. Let's all stand together. You're going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning. Acts chapter 8. And uh, we're going to be looking today on the priority of the local church. And uh, my desire this morning is to challenge us in the area of, uh, of just being a part of the Great Commission. And we have a role to play as a, as a body of believers. Stick has a role. Larry Culp has a role. Uh, Pastor Clemens has a role. Our life group leaders have a role. Our, our church members have a role in that. And um, we want to be a church that is unified. Can I get an amen? We want a church that is together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that the gospel matters. And uh, that's what we always, we, if we're going to lean too far in one way, I want it to lean toward the gospel. And uh, reaching people uh, for the hope of, that is found in Christ alone. Acts chapter 8, I won't, uh, I'll be quick this morning. But I want us to just, we're going to start in verse number 1. We're eventually going to get down to the end of the chapter. And deal with our theme for the month, Arise, Arise and Go. Uh, but sake of time this morning, I'm just going to read verse 1 to get us started. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at the time, at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Father... Thank you for this time. Thank you, Father, for uh, the singing that we've had today. And again, as I pray to begin this service, the one that really matters is, are you pleased with what we have done this morning? Are you pleased with our spirit? Are you pleased with what's going on inside of us? And I'm asking you, Lord, that you meet with us now. As we open up the word and we're challenged today, help us to see things the way that you see them. And help us to follow your leadership, your guiding in our life. And I pray that you'll move us closer toward you. If we're going to be moved, Lord, let us be moved toward you. And I pray that your church is edified and built up today. If there's one that doesn't know Christ... There's one that doesn't know Jesus today, Lord. Move in their hearts. Let them realize your goodness and your love that is shown toward them through the cross of Calvary. And may they come to know Jesus today. In his name we pray, amen. I want you to think back right now. I want you to think about the time that you accepted Christ as your Savior. I want you to think about where you were, the events that led up to it. Maybe someone stopped by and shared a testimony. Maybe you heard something on the radio. Maybe you were in a service. Maybe it was after service and you were at home. Maybe it was in a message that was preached. 
How did you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? I think everything in life that this world has to offer tries to move us away from that. It tries to distract us and get us away from our first love. I was in a, Christy and I were in the hospital room this week. We were visiting Sandra Borden and pray for her as she continues to uh, improve uh, from her recent sickness. That woman is telling us about every person that comes in that room and how she is, she's praying for God to give her a door and she's scared to death every single time and uh, the Lord just opens up an opportunity to share the gospel and she kept talking, she was telling us about how she was talking to one lady and uh, how that she, there was a time in her life where she was excited she got saved and she allowed events in life to get her away from her first love, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And how the Lord had to bring her back in that testimony. I'm going to tell you something. If God ever called a woman to preach, it's Sandra Borden. I'll tell you something, amen? So many things tries to get us away from that. And we go through life and we're carrying burdens, and we're struggling. Coming to church isn't exciting. Reading our Bible's not exciting. Singing is not exciting. Giving's not exciting. So many things pressures, responsibilities, people, opinions, trials. There's so many things that are pulling us in every direction. And you know, Cindy, the thing that matters the most in all of our lives is our relationship with God that comes through Christ. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Before Jesus ascended to heaven... He commanded his disciples to return to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1. And there they were to wait for the promise of the Father, which was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit upon the believer. Since you're just in Acts chapter 8, if you'll go back to chapter number 1, I want us to see the significance of the Holy Spirit in the local church was the subject of Christ's final earthly words in Acts 1 and verse number 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Upon every believer, God is pouring out His Spirit and His power to indwell us to do what we could never do on our own. In the next chapter, in chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who had assembled together in one accord, all the believers, and 
Verse number 4 says that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I want to tell you this morning that the emphasis of verse number 4 should not be on the ability to speak in some unknown tongue as some would like us to focus on. Rather, the emphasis should be on the power of the Holy Spirit enabling believers to deliver the gospel of Christ in an understandable way. Amen? Because they spoke filled with the Holy Spirit, the apostles began to speak in the language of every person present so that everyone could hear a clear presentation of the gospel. It was something that everyone could understand. And they ministered to their Jerusalem and they witnessed 3,000 individuals come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 3, Peter would preach in the temple after the lame man was healed and there they witnessed 5,000 men coming to Christ. And by the time we get to our text in Acts chapter 8 in verse number 1, the believers are scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria as a result of the great persecution against the church. As Jesus told them in Acts 1 verse 8, it began in Jerusalem. And through a persecution of the church, it now spread through Judea and Samaria. And when we get to chapter 11, the gospel reaches Antioch and Syria. And as we've been looking recently on Sunday nights in Acts 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas would begin to carry it to the uttermost parts of the world. That was the emphasis of the, new century, of the first century church. And that is why they were able to reach their generation with the good news that Christ died upon the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Today, today we judge churches on their music. We judge churches on their programs that they have to offer, their facilities, on their personalities. We look for relationships, we look for fellowships, and all of those things, Ronnie, are important. I don't diminish any of those things. They are all important descriptions of a local church. But the heartbeat of the local church, the lifeblood of the church, must always be its emphasis on the gospel. Amen? It may have the finest facilities, it may, have, it may be filled with people, it may have program after program, and you might leave there feeling good about yourself. But the gospel better be a priority. People getting saved, people getting baptized, people getting discipled should always be the central focus of the local church. That's why I'm thankful that we can start out every Sunday morning with a praise report that people are getting saved. 
If I'm ever going to be accused of being too dogmatic about anything, Brad, I want it to be in the area of the gospel. Amen? I was thinking when I was preparing this message, you know how the devil just kind of gets on you and gets in your head. And you're preparing a message and, and you think, well, that's not a... That's not a good feeling. That's not a good feeling sermon. Maybe I don't preach the best good feeling sermons. Maybe I got an amen with that one. I know what you meant, Carrie. I know what you meant. I know exactly what you meant. Maybe maybe I don't preach messages all the time that leave you feeling bubbly inside or pull at your heartstrings enough that it tugs at your emotions. But if your complaint to the Lord about me is that I'm too evangelistic focused, that this church cares too much about people getting saved, or that missions is a big deal, or that we're always pushing our church to reach out more, Mark, I'm okay with that. And I think, Michael, when I stand before the Lord, I think he's going to be okay with that. Amen? Our goal is that all of us, from the oldest to the youngest, is to see people as Christ sees people. Not to just see them as black and white, not just to see them as liberal or conservative, not to just see them as rich or poor, but to see people as God sees people. And if the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son then it is, not, that it is not unfair for God to ask me to love people for who they are and to, give, and to give myself completely to them and ministering to them and to show them the love of God that is found through Christ. Amen? People need a relationship with God the Father that can only be found through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I don't think it is wrong for us to get to a place where we weep over souls. Where we get to a place where the first prayer request is for somebody to get saved. That we're broken and that we're burdened. That we feel the heaviness. You won't... If you want your emotional strings to be tugged, if you want to leave here with tears in your eyes, may we be leaving here because we have a burden for someone that is lost, will spend an eternity in hell, separated from God because, they're, because of their sin, and somebody needs to tell them about Jesus Christ. If we want to be emotional, let's be emotional about that. Let's carry that burden along with us. My prayer is that we rank our financial support of missions higher than our need for a new car payment. Amen? Years ago, we were, we were in a financial situation, and uh, we were doing pretty good until we started having kids. How many parents can testify of that? I, tell, I, I like to tell teenagers when I speak to them, You want to complain about mom and daddy's minivan, they all had nice cars before you came along. 
right? We had sports cars at one time. And I remember just feeling the, the burden, and, and uh, I was wanting to go more towards ministry. And that's why I'm so big on supporting church planners. Because people say, well, you can go pastor churches, go, just go to work. I'm going to tell you something. Every pastor is a full-time pastor whether they work a job or not. Amen? And if we can help every pastor focus on the ministry rather than having to kill himself to take care of his family and help take care of your family spiritually, I want us to do that. It's, it's a struggle. And I wanted to go more toward ministry. And so, so I'm praying to the Lord... I'm praying to the Lord, Zach, I, I'm saying, God, I need more money. I need more money. Could you, could you supply more money? And I was sitting at their kitchen table, and I was paying the bills that night, and the Lord said, if you sold that car, you'd have more money. And I was paying my cable bill, and the Lord said, if you'd get rid of your cable television, you'd have more money. And about two or three times of that, I just said, yes, Lord, I got your point. Quit telling me to, uh, how I can find more money. I want us to be as excited about Mission Cecil as we're as excited about anything that we have in our house. Amen? Because those things are eternal things. They have great value. In Matthew 28, Jesus commanded the apostles to go and teach all nations, which means he was telling them to go and make disciples. They were to baptize every new believer, and they were to teach them everything that they had learned, starting with the fact that every believer has the responsibility to go and make disciples. In chapter, in chapter 8, in verse 1, the text that we just read, the church was scattered abroad teaching people about Jesus, except the apostles. Everyone had a responsibility, not just the apostles. As a disciple of Christ, we should, we should seek to be multiplying ourselves. Amen? We should, as church members, we should be seeking to multiply ourselves. And if that's to be the case, then we should all ask ourselves, if every Christian was just like me, if every Christian was just like you, what kind of church would we have? What kind of world would we live in? Would it, be, would it be better? Would our church be better? Would the world be turned upside down for Christ if every believer was just like me? Or would no one ever get saved? It's important for us to realize that just as Jesus described in Acts 1 verse number 8, Missions begin in our Jerusalem. Amen? I think, of, I think of Anthony and Lori Beck and Carly back there. and Hey, sweetheart. Carly back there and their two little twins. I, I, I picture them at night sitting with their family and even though they can't understand everything with the Bible opened, and Anthony and Lori reading the Bible so Carly could hear. Because our Jerusalem begins inside the four walls of our house. Can I, amen? It begins in us reaching our family. It's not Pastor Gill's responsibility to reach your family. It is my responsibility to reach my family. He's an extension of the family. 
He's an extension of, of me as pastor. It is all of our responsibility to reach our families. It begins with us reaching our neighbors and our co-workers because they are there in, in our ministry. They're the people that we are speaking to every day. It begins with us desiring to fill a seat. What if everyone in church made it a goal to do everything they can to fill their role? Their row, not role, their row. Christy, you got to do some work. I'm just kidding. That's my row. If I focus on, I want my row filled. And I'm going to go out and find people and get people and reach people and not pull them out of another church, but I want to reach somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. If I take that responsibility and you take that responsibility, wouldn't we have a different community? Amen? And it's all of our responsibility. My boys are at the age that they're contemplating decisions that will affect their adult lives. We're looking at colleges now. We're looking at scholarships. We're looking at financial aid. We're trying to figure out how to afford it. And I told them a long time ago, there's coming a day where we're going to have four boys in college at one time. Pray for me. I told them, Steve, I said, if you think we're going to pay for your college, you're, you're vastly mistaken. Because that just ain't going to happen. So you better work hard in school and you better find every way you can to get a scholarship to pay for it yourself. Amen? And they're making those decisions. I was telling the youth group this morning, and I'll say it again. When you stand before God, eternity doesn't care how many touchdowns you scored. When you stand before God, Gary, eternity doesn't care about how much money you made or how much you saved. The Bible says that there's joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner does what? Repents. You want to affect heaven? Reach people for Jesus Christ. And making money and saving money is good, but what we do with it is more important. Amen? And I was telling them in youth group this morning, touchdowns is good because you want to, you want to succeed. But what you do with that, what you do with that success and how you can turn it around and reach people with Jesus Christ, that is what matters for eternity. But everything in life is pulling us in so many directions that we're concerned about everything else except for what really matters in eternity. And my job as a pastor is to set a vision before everyone that we see our responsibility, our role in affecting eternity in the generation that we live in today. We can invest prayerfully, personally, and financially. Now, the main character of our text this morning is a man named Philip. Stephen would have been his friend and fellow laborer, and he was stoned to death in chapter 7 because of his faith. There's coming a day where I'm going to see Stephen at the judgment seat of Christ. A man that was stoned to death for his faith. 
And I hope that I've got something to give to the Lord with the life that I've been given. Philip didn't allow the death of his friend or the persecution of the church to cause him to deny or question his faith. He continued to share the good news. And by doing so in Samaria, he shared it with people whom he didn't even see eye to eye with. Are you with me? The Jews and the Samaritans, Shelby, did not get along. They despised one another. And that may describe their way of life and their religion and their, their belief system. But when, but when Christ saved them and they found the joy of the Lord and they found the change in their heart, it didn't matter if they didn't see eye to eye in, the, in everything else in life. He cared enough about them to tell them about Jesus. Amen? He shared the gospel with the Samaritans. Look there in verse number 12. We see how the gospel breaks down barriers. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. The gospel breaks down barriers. Now I want you to go to verse 26. Let me highlight just a couple of things quickly. They have this people getting saved in Samaria. There's a great spiritual awakening taking place. And in verse 26, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go. He's seeing God move. He's seeing God work. It was a blessed, it was a blessed ministry. And the Lord tells him, Philip, I want you to rise and I want you to leave this place. And he gives direction. He says, I want you to go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit, can y'all say that with me? Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. We have a, there's a priority in the local church to be spiritually led. That's what I want you to see. The world teaches us to be carnally, fleshly. Every commercial, I won't say every commercial, but most... Most of the commercials that you see are trying to appeal you to go do something or go buy something. Something to seek your flesh, to appeal to your flesh. And a lot of times we're so, we're so, our minds are so boggled with things and thoughts and, and all of this distractions that we're never listening to the Holy Spirit lead. And that that spirit within inside him says, hey, I want you to go and I want you to join yourself to that chariot. Imagine a car. I want you to go to that car and knock, knock on that window. And we can offer excuses. No, I can't do that. No, I shouldn't do that. 
And I'm going to tell you something. Every time that still small voice tells you to do it, it's God telling you to do it because you'd always run away from it. Amen? And the Spirit says, hey, go near and join yourself to that chariot. And Philip, Philip ran thither to him. He got there quickly, and he, and he heard him. He got to that car window, and he saw a Bible open. Well, that's, that's cool. And he knocks on that window, and he sees that he's reading. Well, you're reading Isaiah 53, and he just asked him. He says, do you, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And the youth, his eunuch just says, just kind of shrugs his shoulders, and he says, how can I? He says, how can I except some man should guide me. I, I, don't know, I don't know who it is. Philip was being led of the Spirit to an individual that needed to know, that needed to know about Jesus. Are you with me? Need to know about Jesus. And he went to him and he found him and he spoke to him. And he began there in Isaiah 53 because he had a priority to reach other people. It says in Verse 32, the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shears, so opening not his mouth, and his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth, and he began at the same scripture. And he preached unto him Jesus. Well, sir, the one that you're reading about is not about Isaiah. It's about the Messiah. It is about Jesus, the Savior of the world. The one that John the Baptist said is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We see, lastly, the priority to deliver the truth. Because as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Can I get baptized? I'm sure he had heard of other believers getting baptized, and John the Baptist, uh, Baptist baptizing other people. In my years working with children, children see a baptism, and they often say, Hey, can I get baptized? And I have the responsibility of saying, of teaching them why they need to get baptized. Amen? Because we see the outward. We see the outward expression. We don't see what happened inwardly in their heart. And so Paul delivers, or, or Philip delivers the message. He says in verse 37, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him because he put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person, is, every person has to face a decision that they need to make in their life. And that is, what will they do with Jesus? Pilate, standing before the mob, when he was wanting to deliver Jesus, and the crowd was saying, crucify him. Pilate said, well, 
what shall I then do with Jesus? Well, if he was smart, he would accept Jesus for who he said he was. But because of his willingness is rather to please the people, Coulter, rather than please the people, or because he'd rather please the people, he sent Jesus to the cross. And did he, he denied everything that Jesus said that he was. Everything that he heard who Jesus was. Every person gets to a place where they've got to make an eternal decision. What will they do with Jesus, Andrew? What do you do with Jesus? Baptism, Callie and Colt's going to be baptized in just a moment, right after the offering. Baptism has nothing to do with their salvation. Their salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. Can I get an amen out there? Do you all know that? It's in Jesus Christ alone. Philip said, yeah, we could baptize you. And people would say, hey, look at that guy. He just got baptized. And that guy, James, would still go to hell. And Philip said, no, before we do that, we've got to take care of what's in here. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins? That in him, he is, he is the hope of all of eternity. Do I accept him? Have you accepted him? Have you said in your life, I repent of my sin. I want a new life. I want a new direction. I've, I'm tired of doing things my way. I'm going to go with Jesus. Have you made that decision? Have you shared that good news with someone else? Let's bow our heads this morning. The piano's come to play.